Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 17, verses 1 through 18. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great whore who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and with the wine of whose fornication the inhabitants of the earth have become drunk. So he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of whores and of earth's abominations. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly amazed, but the angel said to me, why are you so amazed? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was, and is not, and is about to ascend from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be amazed when they see the beast, because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Also, they are seven kings, of whom five have fallen, one is living, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are united in yielding their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, the waters that you saw where the whore is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the whore, they will make her desolate and naked, they will devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by agreeing to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. We've said this frequently throughout this journey through John's revelation, that genre 
is key. If we don't understand the genre in which John is writing, we can get ourselves into heaps of trouble with Revelation. And this is true when it comes to scripture in general, but especially this particular section. First and foremost, this is a vision. It's not something that literally happened, nor is it something that the author sees and something that will literally happen in the future. It's a metaphor. Secondly, this is apocalypse, and it's an uncovering of divine truth, not apocalypse as the term has come to be known these days as an end of times, end of the world, but it's just an uncovering, a revealing of something. Today, I want to dwell on the fact that much of this book is also satire. Dictionary.com defines satire as the use of humor, irony, exaggeration, or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity or vices, particularly in the context of contemporary politics and other topical issues. When done well, satire takes the ills of the world and points them out through humor. The best of Saturday Night Live skits are the ones that take something real like a movie or a TV show or a song or current events and they point out the problems with them by being completely silly and over the top. There are now entire satirical news websites that deliver stories that are literally too ridiculous to believe. <laughs> the first really popular one that came out is called The Onion and there's now a Christian version of this called The Babylon Bee. If you ever see anyone share an article online from The Onion or The Babylon Bee, that's satire. It's not meant to be real news. And the articles range from politically themed to straight up silly. Some examples are Georgia's Secretary of State vows to investigate why some residents forced to wait two centuries to vote. Biden campaign considering using the internet to attract voters. This one is particularly biting. Congress members to wear barcodes so lobbyists can scan prices, self-checkout. To the sillier, nation approves plan to push Hollywood into Pacific Ocean. Friend in passenger seat working on some creative flourishes in ghost-written text message to driver's mom. And finally, one of my favorites, Run, dear God, run! screams woman who forgot about sourdough starter as doughy tendril wraps around throat. Now, I love satire, but there is one big problem with it, and that is that not everyone gets it. Some people just don't think it's very funny because we all have different senses of humor. I, for example, have inherited my family's dark and biting sense of humor. A gathering of Clarks can be a little bit intense and sound like we all hate each other, but it's usually all in good fun. So satire is right up my alley. But for some people, it can come off as a bit too much, much like a Clark family reunion. For others, satire just flies right over their heads. In fact, there's now an internet thread, several indeed, called People Who Ate the Onion, among other things. These are devoted to making fun of people who didn't know the onion was satire and took it seriously. This 
can be kind of funny when this happens, when someone takes a piece of satire seriously. And I've lovingly teased a few family members who didn't know that the Babylon Bee isn't real, but satire taken for reality can be really bad, too. An ex-FIFA official, that's the soccer organization, um, made a total fool of himself on national TV by citing an Onion article to make his point. An Iranian news agency reprinted an Onion article as serious news in 2012. I've seen some poor unsuspecting souls who don't realize they are on humor sites get very upset about the fake news that the Onion is peddling when all the Onion is peddling is a laugh at the expense of modern culture. Now, I don't actually like reading those people who ate the onion threads because they sort of come off like making fun of someone for not understanding an inside joke. And it's really sad when someone takes one of those articles seriously and reprints or quotes it in all seriousness without first fact-checking their source to see whether it is a real news organization or a satire site. John's revelation is not meant to be silly. It's not meant to be over the top, like the Onion or the Babylon Bee, but it is taken literally in much the same way by many people. And we're not here to make fun of anyone who has ever taken it seriously. Rather, we're here to point out the real power of what John has to say by noticing how he said it. One of the powerful things about John's revelation is that one of the important functions of humor, and especially satire specifically, is that it makes the scary things less scary. Things aren't as frightening when we can laugh at them. It makes, it makes things that are difficult easier to confront. Empires like Rome or Babylon or any large empire throughout history are scary. Sure, they're great for a while, for the in crowd, but for the common everyday people on the ground, they're bad news. So picturing these empires as an over-the-top prostitute on top of a crazy wild monster thing diffuses the fear while pointing out God's ultimate victory over this self-absorbed, opulent empire. The challenge of an opulent, self-exhored empire is that it is also an attractive one, one that can lure us in if we aren't careful. The Whore of Babylon makes fun of something that's actually quite serious, the danger of pledging our allegiance to empire instead of to the Lamb. While it's easy to castigate empires like Rome or Babylon, the danger of pledging allegiance to empire still exists in our modern world. The world witnessed the dangers of empire last week in Beirut, Lebanon, where an enormous explosion left 171 people dead, thousands injured, and hundreds of thousands homeless. The explosion originated in a warehouse that contained 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate. Despite repeated sanctions and warnings to the Lebanese government to remove the ammonium nitrate, the government did 
nothing. The government wanted to wait until the crew paid them the money they owed before they did anything about the nitrate. So in other words, this enormous explosion was an accident. An accident that happened due to the Lebanese's government's failure to take appropriate action to reduce this threat. Days after the explosion, the Lebanese cabinet resigned. You would think that this is good news, right? At the very least, a step in the right direction. Not necessarily. At the time that I wrote this sermon, Lebanon has no plans to elect a new cabinet. The cabinet is basically still in power because of Lebanon's state of emergency. Someone has to make sure the hospitals still operate, roads are open, and victims receive the supplies they need. The cabinet just can't propose laws or issue decrees. Many Lebanese citizens see this move as political satire. The cabinet found a way to resign while effectively staying in power. I think that the Lebanese bombing is a good example of the limits of government and the dangers of putting our faith in them. While governments are useful ways of administering human services and protecting natural security, they are not powerful enough to tell us who we are. They are not powerful enough to give our lives meaning and direction. They are not powerful enough to bring about true peace on earth. As this bombing illustrates, they certainly are susceptible to corruption, greed, and gross incompetence. Friends, the good news of our scripture passage for today is that the Lamb will ultimately be victorious. In the battle between good and evil, we will face many distractions. And some of those distractions may initially look good. We have to keep constantly drawing our energy and our purpose from the Lamb. Otherwise, we are going to get distracted by the bright, shiny toys the enemy will throw our way to distract us from the battle that is raging all around us. This week, I asked you all to reflect on what is distracting you from following the Lamb. I know for me, I tend to get distracted by laziness. For example, every week I know that I need to sit down and I need to write my sermon, but I will do anything to get out of doing what I have to do. I will buy stuff on the internet I don't need. I will do laundry. I will write out birthday cards. I will start drafting worship plans for the fall, all to distract myself from the intimidating task of wrestling with God's word and bringing God's word before you all. I can work so hard on being distracted that I actually look quite busy when really all I'm doing is being lazy. Friends, when we're under stress, I think we're all more susceptible to that which distracts us. And that's okay. 
But part of the work of Christian discipleship is to be aware of our distractions so that they don't overpower us. I've accepted that I will always want to do the things I don't need to do. So I make to-do lists for my work days. I reward myself with breaks throughout the day after I finish the tasks that I don't want to do. I try to be kind to myself when I don't accomplish all that I set out to do. Friends, as we transition from summer to fall, I hope that you all are thinking about how you are going to deal with the distractions that are going to come your way in this new season of life and ministry. Particularly as we navigate an unprecedented school year, what is bound to be a highly contested presidential election, and a socially distanced holiday season. While we have the time, the space, and maybe even the brain power, let us discern how we can do the work that God has called us to do without giving in to the distractions that derail us from our purpose. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen.